Happy fall, everyone. This is Ricardo, and here's what you can listen to in the Popping Collars feed in September 2021 while sipping on your favorite pumpkin-flavored beverage. Popping Collars goes back to school this month with an episode devoted to the trials and tribulations of teenage life in pop culture. Everybody's favorite part conversation, part competition show is back this month as we create our favorite canon from the works of Whoopi Goldberg. Betsy and Greg talk about the movie Postcards from the Edge on this month's Going on 30. Join them for a hilarious and heartwarming conversation about Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. Finally, special guest Stephen McHale breaks down the best tracks on the classic Beatles album, Revolver. Thanks for listening and keep those collars popped. Hi, I'm Richard Lindsay, the godfather of Popping Collars, and you are listening to Popping Collars. Welcome to Popping Collars, the longest running Episcopal podcast in the history of the galaxy. The number one Christmas podcast on Pandora in December of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Your pandemic favorite for the holidays. Mm-hmm. On, Pandora, on Pandora, specifically. Oh my God. Like, it's the specificity of that that I love. Uh I'm your host. My name is Greg Knight. I am the Associate for Christian Formation at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. With me are my co-hosts. Liz Easton is here. Liz, what's up? Hey, Greg. Um, you know, I'm, oh, my name is Liz Easton. I'm the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska. And um, this is, there's a delightful short season in Omaha. It's so short, it might only last a week. And it is like aging praying mantis season. <gasps> And it's pretty special, I have to say. So this morning when I woke up and I pulled the blinds up, there was a big old praying mantis perched on my window. When they get really old, they're, um, they turn a darker color. And But they're gigantic. They're like four or five inches tall. No, thank you. No, they're thank huge. you. And they have those weird alien heads that they kind of move around. And then tonight, um, I was sitting on my couch talking on the phone and to my mom. And I said, oh, a hummingbird. I thought a hummingbird was flying right at my window. No, it was a flying praying mantis. It was so Mm -hmm. big and substantial that it was. So that's the dispatch from my little world is uh, praying mantises are nearing the end of their life and blessing me with their presence. Wait, cool. So they get old, like, and they change color. Yeah. They turn like brown. Like their underside is still that bright green. When they're young, they're like a bright, bright, like Kermit the Frog kind of green. How long do they live? I don't know. Also, this is not scientific. It's just what I've observed (laughs) living living on the Great Plains. Um, Then they turn like kind of brown, almost like those weird stick bugs, you know, that you see at the zoo. Like they have that brown kind of barky look. Got it. Wow. And they're just, they're gigantic. I mean, they're honestly like five inches tall. 
I know we're going to talk with a topic, but I just have one more question about this. Yeah. No, so, go for it. I mean, first of all, the comment I think of is like, well, at least they're so big, they're not going to kind of get into your mouth when you're walking along. Yeah, yeah. Because like the cicadas, it was like there was a, a nightmare. What? In your mouth? <laughs> they're not going to get in your mouth. Well, they're not. Fear with bugs? It's an infestation of them, the way the cicadas were the other week. <laughs> Oh, no, I don't think so. I'm praying mantises are really good. Like they're good for your garden. They eat bad bugs. They're, um, and they pray. Well, they're great. I'm sure. Okay. I don't want the praying mantis people coming after me. I'm sure they're great. No, we love, we love the praying mantis. Wow. Wow. And this has been popping collars for this time. (laughs) Thank you, Liz, for the praying mantis. With us, uh, also is Ricardo Avila. Ricardo. Or the hey, praying mantises in California. Greg, there are no praying mantises that I'm aware of in oh. California. There's a lot of prayer uh, <laughs> these days, though, uh, especially with all the smoke that I am seeing out my window on the Santa Cruz Mountains. Uh, Ricardo Avila, rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos. We have, we've been spared where I live in the kind of Bay Area and South Bay. Uh, the worst stuff last year was worse, but boy, in Northern California and places where we just were on vacation, like uh, Nevada City and such, there are evacuation things happening. Maybe I'm dating myself here, or dating the recording of this podcast. But sadly, like I, sadly still- I don't think yeah. I don't think it's going to be dated. <laughs> no, sadly. it'll it'll still be au courant. And Betsy Carmody is also with us. Betsy, how are you? What's up in your world? Summer, Greg. It's fading. I'm sad about it, but it's okay. Cause we're going to have kids come back. And like, I was reminded that last year at this time. Um, so I'm at uh, the Episcopal high school where I serve as head chaplain. And I was reminded last year we had had to make the decision around this time that kids weren't students were not coming back yeah. until the beginning of October. And, and just, it feels like such a different world. Um, even though some things are still the same, but it just felt like a really long time ago. You know, and I'm I'm so I'm feeling a particular love for this theme because my building is about to be filled with teens. My own teen is starting as a freshman this year, which is crazy. And um, and you mentioned the cicadas. So the cicadas left and evidently these things called oak mites showed up and they um, grew and thrived in the dead carcasses <gasps> of the cicadas and they bite you in places that bugs don't normally bite you. So I had a, a oak mite bite on my neck. It looked like I had a hickey for like, and it wouldn't respond to cortisone for like a week and a half. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this thing. This wow. has been like a real all creatures great and small intro. Like I've, yeah, very National Geographic feel. Nice. This month, we're going back to school. Back to Betsy's school. From the dawn of movie making, people have lined up to watch teenagers make questionable, dramatic, inspiring, and horrifying decisions about their lives. You had the uh, beach movies of the 50s and 60s, nostalgia movies in the 70s, like American Graffiti and Grease, as well as the dawn of the teen horror movie with Halloween The boom of the John Hughes 80s, the meta satire of the 90s with Clueless and Scream, the teen gross-out comedies of the aughts, and the reflective dramas of the 2010s with examples like Lady Bird and Call Me By Your Name. Some of these took place at school, some of them didn't. 
but all of them spoke to the joys and challenges of that time when, as Britney Spears says, you're not a girl and not yet a woman. So where will our trip through the world of teen entertainment take us? Greg, I have to say that intro makes me want to go back to high school. Well, let's find out who's starting us off. The bag says... We're back to the bag. We've the bag says that it's going to be me. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay, so I'm going to kick us off with something really fun that I've discovered lately, uh, which is a show on Netflix called Cobra Kai. Have you guys seen Cobra Kai? I have not seen Cobra Kai. Okay. It's on the list. Have you seen oh. The Karate Kid? Yes. You know what? I have actually never seen The Karate Kid. It's on my list. I feel like I have to to sort of understand pop culture canon, but I've never seen it. Well, here's the good thing about Cobra Kai. You actually don't have to have seen The Karate Kid in order to understand what's happening in Cobra Kai, even though it's a continuation of the story from The Karate Kid. So Cobra Kai is a probably started off as a joke on YouTube is, hey, what would the protagonist and antagonist of the Karate Kid movie look like today, right? What would it be like if you peaked in high school and you had to live with the reputation of winning or losing the big karate tournament in this little town somewhere in in the valley in California. And so it started off as a YouTube show that became incredibly popular and got picked up by Netflix. And now it's in, I want to say it's going into its fourth season. What I love about Cobra Kai is that it is uh, just a straight up goofy show. I mean, you really have to suspend your disbelief just right from the outset. But what it does well is that it captures kind of the melodrama of teenage life um, and how all-encompassing that world can feel when you're in the middle of it. You think it's funny to spread lies about me? What are you talking about? We saw a movie, and that's it. Well, maybe I saw a little bit more than you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Kyler! Why don't you shut the hell up and stop being such an asshole? You want another beatdown, Rhea? I'm ready for your lame-ass karate this time. It's not lame-ass karate. It's Cobra Kai. And so the hilarious part is that um, it has these teenagers that are on the show that are kind of, you know, living their teenage lives and and it's very dramatic. But you also realize that the adults that are in these kids' lives, because they peaked in high school, their their kind of emotional maturity is that of a high schooler. And so it has this kind of uh, resonance where it's like, wow, this is what it would feel like to have sort of suspended adolescence for most of your adulthood. This kind of sense that you just can't move on. You're just stuck. So anyway, so Cobra Kai is a show about karate. It's a show about kids who go to school and they learn karate. And eventually they have like karate fights with each other because 
It's a karate show, but at its heart, it's kind of a, it's this cheesy kind of um, love story and kind of a reconciliation story uh, about the two guys that were in the first Karate Kid and how, um, how their lives have gone on two very different tracks, but now they're coming back together uh, by forming these two sort of rival karate schools. Um, but what they actually realize is that they're better off being friends with each other and kind of uniting together. Like that's ultimately what's going to save them and save the kids that they work with. It's a lovely kind of meandering show that's completely silly, but at its heart, it has a a beautiful message, which is that we don't have to be enemies for life. No matter what happened to us in the past, we can always reconcile with each other and move together uh, in a common identity. Okay, that's fun. Nice. All right. Bag. Liz Easton. Bag. The bag, bag has bag, chosen bag, me. Bag, bag, bag. Um, wow. Okay, so... <laughs> wow. I... <laughs> I was listeners, going to talk- listeners. Liz has a new haircut. It's so I cute. I wish you I all could see it. She oh. keeps adjusting it, which is just making. I can't this stop. I whole can't thing stop. more exciting. I okay. remember. Um, I am one who will often just get a dramatic haircut without any consultation or any preparation. And I did this in seminary once. And I remember um, in like our liturgical leadership class. Lizette Larson Miller, like stopping the fake liturgy that I was doing and being like in front of the whole class, you can put this in the podcast. Hi, Lizette. She was like, um, (laughs) she was like, Liz, everyone can tell that you got a new haircut. You don't need to stop. You don't need to keep touching your hair. (laughs) Oh, I mean, fair fair enough. Balcony people, balcony people. (laughs) That's why we record our stuff. You got to know. Exactly. Anyway, she's like, Fair, like I'm about to preach and I'm like hair flipping. <laughs> right. I kept like no. moving it. So she wasn't wrong. Um, <laughs> anywho. So I'm going to talk about something, but <laughs> Betsy's flipping her hair around right sorry, now. Sorry, sorry. I'm going to talk about something. And Greg's intro reminded me of something I want to make short mention of. So I'm not cheating by bringing two things. I'm just remarking briefly on one and then I'll move into the other. Um, And that is just that I think American graffiti is one of the best films. I think it is like all practically a perfect film and people don't talk about it very often. We don't think about it very often. It's not like that classic that's on repeat all the time. I don't think everyone has seen it, but I think about it a lot. And partly because it is this, um, quiet kind of small perfect encapsulation of what happens when generations change it's this moment of tension between the 50s and the 60s this huge cultural revolution and people trying to hang on to everything that the 1950s represented instead of sort of moving into the chaos Mm -hmm. and revolution and change of the 60s And some of that is really sweet and some of it's really sad. And um, every once in a while, things will happen in our culture and in our society where I think that that same tension is happening. Only in that film, it all takes place kind of on a strip and a high school graduation. And it's all really contained. So I commend to you American Graffiti if you haven't seen it. What I'm going to talk about is not nearly as impactful or important 
at all. I don't even have any reflection. I'm just going to tell you about a show that I like and I'm embarrassed. It's a guilty pleasure. And this is a little bit of a pandemic recommendation. And I'm talking about the Hills franchise. Oh, wait, <laughs> it's a surprise, isn't it? Swerve, Liz. I was, I was so ready for my so-called life to come out of your mouth. And I, you know, I love teen pop culture. I love my so-called life. I could talk about that. 90210, even like Dawson's Creek. I could talk about, um, I could do all of that, but instead I'm going to talk about the Hills because I've been enjoying it. Um, as part of the pandemic. So the Hills was a spinoff of a teen reality show. One of the very early reality shows, which we now would call a scripted or semi-scripted reality show called Laguna beach, which um, took place in a high school in Laguna beach, California with these like super privileged kids and sort of all of their high school drama from Laguna beach. We moved to the Hills, which is um, sort of young adulthood, college, but they never really attend college. Um, reality show set in Los Angeles. From there, there's a spinoff called The City. What's important for you to know is that now the Hills are back. There's oh, been two okay. seasons of I've the Hills New Beginning, yes. which I have watched. But also it's super manufactured and silly. And these kids all became celebrities because it wasn't really real. You know, that this was a time when we thought that reality shows were reality, but they weren't, they were super produced and semi-scripted. There was a kind of super villains on the Hills, which you all may remember. Again, this was the first time that reality TV sort of swept America this way outside of the real world, also on MTV. And it was uh, Spencer Pratt and Heidi Montag who became called, they were called Spidey in the social media. I liked all your friends last night. You know, they love you. They actually. seem very nice, all of them. Oh, Frankie invited us to his birthday party at Le Du tonight. Oh, yeah? Is um, Lauren going? Um, She actually just called me. I just missed her call. And I'll call her back and ask her and see what she I wish like. that Adrena and Lauren would have come last night. I mean, I totally accept that she doesn't like me, but she shouldn't yeah. take that out on you. I know. Our friendship shouldn't suffer from it. And they were just monsters. I mean, just completely vilified. Well, they're real people. And um, they are on, they're really savvy in terms of like keeping this thing going now for decades. But I follow them on social media and they are delightful. I have completely fallen in love with the Pratts. They are like the sweetest, weirdest, like quirkiest couple who have this very bizarre origin story of a real couple who met and fell in love and were also pushed together by this machine of social media. It wasn't social media at the time. And they were like really good at having beefs with people. Totally. And it was, I mean, it's just wild when you watch it. And now they're these like middle-aged couple who are like, you know, raising a child and like, they're just delightful. So in comes the Hills new beginnings. I'll stop on my Hills rampage in a moment because there's no theological or spiritual content here. And I'm just being honest about that. 20 years later, this cast reunites for a new reality show. So now I'm watching 38 year olds who I last saw when they were 22 years old coming back together in a, a very similar way, this like manufactured reality thing. And it's just, um, I love it. I just love it. 
I don't get it. Like, is it a guilty pleasure or is there like a bigger, like meta kind of life story there for me? Like what is happening? Well, I think you're, I think you're a little close to where I was, Liz, when I was thinking about this too, which is so uh, not to date our podcast, but in the year 2021, whenever you're listening to this back in 2021, they played a baseball game in a cornfield Uh, which was supposed to be reminiscent of the Field of Dreams movie that was a 30-year-old movie. And Kevin Costner, before the game, walks out of the cornfield to a microphone at the center of the field and gives this very earnest speech about, like, what baseball means. I I don't even know. Like, it was ridiculous. But, like... (laughs) <laughs> it was one of the highest rated baseball games of the season. Like people ate that up and it's like, I, I just, sometimes I don't know what it is that we're selling when we repackage this stuff and put it back. Well, out. We're, we're just rebooting right now, which I think, I think you can look at that either as um, a human need for nostalgia in a moment of incredible pressure yes. and anxiety, or you can look at it as the fall of Rome where we are not creating culture anymore. We're only um, recycling and repurposing culture. And I think the jury's out, you know, mm-hmm. it could be, <laughs> it could be either one of those things. It could be a combination of both depending, but the fact that there is a Hills new beginning that they rebooted one of the worst television shows of all time. Wow. All right. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Liz. Taking us back to the Hills, a show that I have not thought about in 20 years. <laughs> so long. Uh, Betsy, the bag has decided you're next. All right. So I did TV as well. I did not go. I like how Greg's like whole intro was about. I know it's about movies. movies. And like we've so far, this will be the third television show. So my television show is a recent show as well. Started in 2020 um, from the brain and mind of Mindy Kaling. And it is Never Have I Ever on Netflix. What? Mom, I'm fast asleep. You don't look like you're asleep. What are you doing here? I'm doing exactly what I said I'd do. I'm here to have sex with you. gonna be our year you can feel it but we're not cool we a not cool person wear one dangly earring which brings me to my plan we're rebranding i have chosen attainable yet status enhancing people for each of us today hey jonah you smell great today it's forever by mariah carey oh this is why you don't mess with me see i'm technically best at everything yes i'm blessed indeed so don't test me please i am hercules i unleash the like an Indian Kardashian. I want to talk about a major event that could happen. Popping my cherry, dog. Oh, Lord. We are smart, and idiots are banging all the time. We can learn how to do it, too. Peace out, virgin. You just seem lost. And I'm not lost. I just want to be a normal teenager. Whoa, what are you doing? Don't worry, he won't hurt me. Normal teenagers end up in prison, or worse, working in Jersey Mike's. You're a weird girl. Yes, yes I am. 
Buckle up for some steamy teen romance. Liz, you've seen it, yes? Yes, I've seen both seasons. Yes. Greg, have you witnessed the show? I have not seen Never Have I Ever. I feel like you should because your kids are watching it. Like, it's good. Um, okay, so it tells the story of, of Debbie, who's a young Indian-American girl. Her parents immigrated to the United States, living in, you know, as the only child of her parents. Her mom's a successful dermatologist. Her father unexpectedly passes away. And so you end up with this story of, of a family that's going through actual real stuff. So there's all like the teen drama and, and those sorts of things. There's plenty of middle parts happening in this thing. I have had my daughter just got her haircut today. I was talking with the hairstylist. I'm like, what's up with the middle part? Don't they all look like Manson followers or out of the days (laughs) confused or something. So anyway, but, um, but it's, you know, so they're, they're, you know, in this high school living their life and she's kind of, she's really smart and she gets great grades, but what she really wants to do is have a boyfriend. And so what she really wants to do is lose her virginity, which I think is a key part of. Yes. 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 So it's, it's that, that, you know, I, especially season one, it's been a bit since I watched season one. And so then, and so then it's, but you're also kind of following her through the aging process of high school and so you really are feeling like the second season feels different than than season one. But what I what I, I like the way they've cast her friends. I think one of the best parts of the show is that the narrator of the show is John McEnroe, and that is because it's what and what you end up finding out is that it really works because what what Debbie I love that what she's struggling with is be is her anger and her impulsiveness, and that that's really whether it's a product of her grief. Or a product of being a teenager, that as I, I often think that as young women, we they don't often get to have storylines about anger. Mm-hmm. And so she'll do things that are so stupid. And that's the thing, too. It's sometimes it's really hard to like her. And and I like that about the show. And so having John McEnroe as your narrator, someone who has impulse control and anger issues, is really a very sweet undertone to the show. And it's just, it's, it's well done. It might be because you just mentioned Manson girls, but you're also talking about anger. And it seems like the only anger that women are allowed in most like to pop culture is like psychotic anger. Mm. We're allowed to be like crazy, the crazy girl. Yeah. The Carrie, the Carrie yes. situation. Yes. Yeah. But this typical like um, growing pains, anger that young women and men both experience in different ways is rarely ever expressed. And in this show, the consequences are they're proportionate to her actions, but her life never is destroyed. You know, it seems like for women, like your only option is to be perfect or you've driven off the cliff and you're done for you're ruined. But she gets to make mistakes. And um, that's really rare, but it is this element. It reminds me a little bit too of Amy Poehler's movie on Netflix, Moxie, where you're, mm-hmm. then you're dealing with righteous anger and being riot girl kind of anger. And like, you know, we were angry and, and, and wanting to change the world. And there's some elements of that, but this is really more of an identity story. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try on these different identities, this identity and I'm yearning maybe for that identity of that virginity being gone, being grown up or whatever that means, but then having a boyfriend in any, or am I smart? Or am I the captain of the robotics team? Or am I a famous actress? Or And they do a nice job in season two, really fleshing out a lot more of the characters around the story 
while mm-hmm. still having Davy as the center. But it's it's just I highly recommend. Highly I have one more have- thing to say about it. Yes, go. One more thing. Um, it is sex positive in a way that's very realistic. First of all, it portrays girls being horny. One of the weirdest things that our culture does is pretend that girls going through puberty and like young women aren't desirous of sex. It's like, and one of the things that when I talk with people about this in any context, it's like picture the Beatles at Shea Stadium. Like if that wasn't the sexual energy of young women, like what was it? Like that was, you know, thousands of uh, desirous young women. So on this show, it's so normal for her to want to have sex and to talk about that and to feel good about that. And it's also normal for her to make decisions to realize that it's not the right time or not the right circumstances and make decisions that are actually um, good for her. And that's rarely shown on TV. Where'd Ricardo go? It's his turn. Okay, Ricardo, sorry. Oh, no, sorry about that. I, um, you know, it's hard because they're right out in the courtyard. And I'm, and before the meeting, they're loud. And I was afraid it would show up on the recording. And now I'm afraid I'm going to, they're going to hear me. But I went to the next room and it's just got like creepy lighting. It's like murder room or something. It's a little murder room. I agree. Yeah. So um, you've made a better choice. I'll just talk and, you know, it should be fine. So what I was going to say, you know, I don't know. I, did you hear that? No. Yeah. Oh, really? Did you hear? Oh, that's clapping. Oh, I did hear clapping. Yeah. Is that going to be a problem? Yeah. Yeah. It's just your own applause track. You have your own applause. They may not (laughs) applaud in the right areas, but you're good. Time it, right? So a couple of things. Uh, First of all, uh, Liz, you were saying something about um, women and young women, you know, kind of a a sex positive. See, is that? That was loud. Sex positive. Sex positive. We all love it. We may have to go back to the murder room. Yeah. I mean, hashtag priest problems when you've got the AA meeting that's too loud next to recording your podcast. (laughs) The longest running Episcopal podcast in the galaxy. Battle for it. And this is just not good backlighting either. So it's fine. So when you were talking about, uh, you know, girls and sex positive um, uh, portrayals out there where it's just, you know, girls are horny. Um, But I do want to say, just to throw the church under the bus for a second here, church in general is not sex positive. They they are, there is, I would never come to the church to get a healthy, positive portrayal about sex, sexuality, sexual expression. And I was thinking about this lately. I can't remember why. But I think it's just we can't talk about it. Like I am the rector of a church and people will come and tell me they're having, you know, whatever marital problems or actually that doesn't happen too often. But um, I, I feel like it's probably one of the least helpful things about the church. And we're contributing to people stamping down a natural urge. Mm-hmm. You know, the only way we can talk about it is to talk in generalities. Oh, well, God gave us bodies and desires and it is a good thing and la la la. And I think that is unhealthy. 
It's not just unhealthy, it's pathetic. And I've been thinking about this recently because I'm listening to that podcast about the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church. Oh, me too, me too. Amazing, great podcast, great Mm -hmm. podcast. But this is a evangelical culture that is very specific. This church, Mars Hill, it was specifically pretty Calvinistic. And one of the reasons that they became very popular and one of the reasons that they got in trouble is because they talked about sex a lot and in a particular way that was really misogynistic and very damaging to marriage. It was not supportive of marriages. And as I have been listening to this, I just think it is to our shame in our church that we don't talk more openly and um, transparently about healthy sexuality as we understand it as Christians, because we do have a particular viewpoint. I, I think we're afraid of offending people. I recently preached a sermon about bread, you know, cause we're like in bread season, bread of life. No. And I, I wrote the whole sermon and then I started getting nervous that I might offend people who had a gluten intolerance. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I did that. Am I going to have to put in a line about that? And it just made me realize that um, there are so many wonderful things about our tradition but our fear of offending, provoking, scaring people is not one of them. So, um, actually, however, I will say that there is a resource that good friend of the pod, Paul Fromberg, has has uh, contributed to. And good friend of the pod, you guys haven't met her, but she was on one of our Canon episodes. Heidi Carter uh, in Kansas City, Missouri, has, has contributed to called These Are Our Bodies, I think is the name of the curriculum. Uh, Episcopal curriculum that's about um, sort of sex and how to talk about sex to all different age groups uh, in the Episcopal church, adults, uh, all kinds of things. So, um, so I would recommend that resource if people. That's awesome. I'll look for that. Nice. Sex in general, I would say, not just me. It's, It's a wild topic. You know, it's irrational. It's about desire and lust and loneliness and shame and longing and vanity it's all that stuff that's not actually doesn't fit into a i think into a theory of of faith if if sex is like this circle the church can really only reasonably talk about this little kind of arc of the circle we can't talk about sex in its entirety you know all that am i making sense even Mm -hmm. i just don't think the church is equipped for that nor is it it would run counter to its own sense of morality because we would necessarily have to put a morality on to any discussions of sex, a sense of right and wrong. And sex is sometimes wrong. So I think that like, you're right. And I think you're right that we may not be equipped to talk about it and could do more harm than good if we don't have our um, theology worked out, which we probably don't in this moment. And I would say that when it comes to sex, there is right and wrong. That doesn't mean that it's um, easy or um, clear, but but I think that the church does have things to say about um, lust and just createdness and hunger. And like, this is all part of our scriptural tradition. Like it's all in there. And when it comes to marriage, like what are we doing when we're not blessing a marriage, when we're blessing a marriage, if we're not also blessing a sexual union? So there has to be, I mean, premarital counseling is a lot about sex. So it feels weird that like the, those conversations are contained within the six week series that you do preparing a couple for marriage, but then it's never discussed from the pulpit. It's never, am I wrong? No, 
the, my predominant sex education was all church-based. So like, but it was like, okay, you're going to over to the Methodist church and they're having a, you know, thing and it's boys and girls together. And a lot of that, like desensitization, like let's play Pictionary and you have to draw a fallopian tube and, and, you know, and you're, you're learning like lots of stuff. Right. Um, but it's kind of like, it was more that kind of nineties. Like it's, we need to be able to talk about this. we got to be able to have this be a discussion and hats off to the diocese of Alabama for the period of time that they did it at our camp every three years at senior camp, which is 10th, 11th and entering 10th, 11th and 12th graders. It would be what we would call sex camp. And so essentially we went and the staff kind of expanded to, it was more of a multi-generational program staff. You'd have a nurse on staff who isn't the nurse who's like giving out the meds, but it was like a nurse on staff. There was a book we would read, which I've been, I cannot remember the book. If anybody listening to this went to camp with me and remembers what damn book that was, but we read it, you know, I believe I helped make a vagina out of clay. Um, but there was like, it was all sorts of that. It's where I got that kind of spirituality of your sexual self and the importance of, of taking care of that part of yourself and being intentional and careful with it. So that has become the language I now use with teenagers. Cause inevitably when we do question the chaplain and we're randomly drawing submitted questions out of a box, there are, what do you, what do you think of premarital sex? Mm-hmm. And I still remember the face of one of my dear students, Halsey Ziegler, when I was up there trying to explain what I just explained to you. And, and I said, you know, and it's sometimes it's bad that when people feel like there's this empty place inside them and they try to use sex to fill that hole and I watched her face. <laughs> and she went, Oh no. And I, I just, whoop, I just kind of went right over it and just kind of kept on going in front of 550 people. But it, it is, they, they want to talk about it. And I think it is, it is interesting to say that I feel like I'm a, I feel like I'm an ordained person who can, who feels equipped to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But I do agree that we need, we would need more training if we were really setting out with that being our intention. But it's, um, I, I, I do, I, I see that dovetailing with, you know, the media my child consumes. So let's talk about some of these things. And, and what does that mean? And how, how is, how is sex actually connected to you as an individual and how you feel about yourself as opposed to being this separate act? Thank you guys. Thank you, Betsy and Liz, actually, because you, you're right. I think as a church, there is a way in which ideally it's, if we were to address the topic at all, it would be our job to talk about it as kind of a healthy, loving, moral, to imbue it with the 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 spirit and the heart and the love and the kind of sense of right and wrong that we would want to have in a relationship that is loving and healthy. Um, but I think that's the most we can do, and that there's a lot more about sex, and that's what I was trying to say, that's not rational or not about you know, right and wrong and doing only what sex is like this whole other thing that sometimes steps outside the boundaries of what's appropriate or what's going to be good for the other person as well as me. You know, sometimes there is all of that. And that is a truth about sex that, you know, I don't think that it makes it wrong necessarily because it's kind of who we are. Or maybe we just have to judge ourselves. You say, well, I'm okay as long as I'm not hurting anyone and being respectful of everyone's boundaries and my own and never in, you know, but then is it shame that's outside of that? Oh, if I have these, you know, fantasies that are inappropriate, 
am I a bad person? But I think that we have moral frameworks for every aspect of our lives and we fall short of them, but we do it. It's just like, why would I talk about um, stewardship and not talk about sex? Why would I talk about feasting and fasting and not talk about sex? All of these other like intimate, organic parts of our lives, parenting, fertility, like there's just so like so many things come to church. And our sexuality is one of them. And there's a difference between saying you're a bad person and there is a higher good that you can direct your, your passions toward. Mm -hmm. But, but I, I don't want to go to a church that doesn't presume that I screw up sometimes. Like my, I want to have a Christian discipleship and a, and a life as a follower of Jesus that is integrated and holistic which would include my sexuality. Greg's holding up the letter R. <laughs> subtly, <laughs> very subtly. Thank you, Greg. I was just saying, if you wanted to keep going. <laughs> it's Ricardo's turn. Ricardo. It's Ricardo's turn. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So I have four. And, um, but none four. of them. Yep, they are four. I'm so, Ricardo, you can't do four. No. I love you, man. He's but I gotta go wait. I know how this is gonna work. He's gonna run off three, but then the last one. He's on the West right. Coast. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you what. These four will, in some, take less time than any of yours. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Promise. Okay. Fine. Okay. So, uh, I don't. Uh, however, the discussion about that. <laughs> no. Um, so. I don't think I like the category of teen movies and I was trying to figure out why. And the first obvious answer was because I didn't get to have a teenager's life because I was closeted and all the stuff in so many of those teen movies about dating and, you know, romance and all of that. It was, it was turned into kind of wickedness for me, which is maybe partly why I have all this stuff around sex that we're talking about, except to say that there are movies that are tangentially about high school, like Lady Bird, and to me anyway, American Graffiti, even though it's obviously, and those are great movies, The Last Picture Show, mm-hmm. those are great movies about teenagers, but it feels like the, the, it's not so couched in that time of their lives. Uh, number one, it's, it's the first one that came to mind because I actually do like this movie is Clueless. All oppressed people, be allowed refuge in America. Amber will take the composition. Cher will be pro. Cher, two minutes. So, okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like, when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? I said RSVP because it was a sit-down dinner. But people came that, like, did not RSVP. So I was, like, totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, redistribute the food, squish in extra place settings. But by the end of the day, it was like, the more, the merrier. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. I just like it. It's great. It's harmless. It's sweet. It's fun. There's some tension, um, but it's like the pretty girls are trying to help the, the other gal 
find her boyfriend. And it's not this mean competitive thing. Uh, and then uh, the other choice I had is Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, because I don't know. A bit I, different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's a teen movie, right? I mean, they're not, I don't know if they're in school ever in the movie, but it's, you know, it's the teens of the neighborhood that are being stalked by Freddy Krueger for the sins of their fathers and their mothers, right? They let him burn or something. And so he's back to kill the teenagers. And then welcome back, Cotter. (laughs) (laughs) Just came to mind because we used to watch it all the time and it was a stupid show, uh, but um, there was something about the camaraderie and that did have a diverse cast. You know, Freddie Boom Boom Washington was black. Uh, Arnold Horshack was uh, Jewish. Epstein, Juan Epstein was a Puerto Rican Jew, but they all kind of, it was dumb. It was funny. And Gabe Kaplan. I mean, he was such a dork, but great. Those, those end of the episode uh, jokes with his wife. So welcome back, Cotter. And then the last one, I didn't actually finish watching and it's probably really inappropriate, but William and I were on vacation recently in, uh, we went to Yellowstone and we were watching the TV on the cable network, something or other. And the show came out and it's called the Duff D U F F. And it was really kind of funny and clever and super cute guy and funny gal who was the lead. And Duff is like, what is it? The designated ugly fat friend. And he tells her, Oh, you're the Duff. And she's like, well, what are you talking about? And he tells her like very matter of factly, and she gets furious and throws a drink at him and all this stuff. And then she realizes she does. She's got these kind of, I don't know, babe friends who have her as the designated one that they always get to hold their drinks and they get to have the glamorous lives. And she has to like sit around and be supportive and funny and sarcastic. And I was a little bit a duff to my friends because I was the one who didn't get to have those high school adventures all around me, but had to be the supportive one and et cetera. Um, and so I sort of resonated with that. I didn't, we didn't finish watching it, so I don't know what happens, but I'm sure she gets a makeover and becomes, you know, beautiful and thin and all this stuff like in Greece. I don't know. I guess I don't hate the genre. I hate the genre, but not the individuals. (laughs) You know, that was Um, a good list. I don't know. I, I am curious about that larger question of like, why do we, why do we have so many teen movies? Cause they're made yeah. by adults. Is it nostalgia? I mean, I certainly fantasize. I'd love to go back to high school, but have like the intelligence and the brains and everything that I have now, and then just do it all differently and have confidence and have like daring do and really be brave and ask out the people I wanted to ask out and all that stuff. So. I love the I love that there's something about the teen genre that is a, that is eternal because there are elements that we're always seeking whenever it's about defining yourself and identity that feel like they will always be true. Just the accessories are different. Teen movies have to have uplift almost, it seems like. Or murders, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or murders. <laughs> Thank you for talking teen movies today. I feel like we've learned a lot about ourselves. You can find Popping Collars on the web at poppingcollarspodcast.com. You'll want to go to our website, by the way. I feel like sometimes we throw out the website address and it's like, yeah, but really who's going? But go there so that you can vote in our Going on 30 awards that Betsy and I have created. We're doing our second annual Golden Poppers 
And you can also vote for um, all of our canon competitions that we've had up to this point. So, like, you know, what's your favorite uh, Robin Williams canon? You know, vote there. Go to poppingcollegepodcast.com. That's what I'm trying to say. You can also subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And you can find our show on episcopalcafe.com. We love episcopalcafe.com. We know you will as well. Check them out for all your Episcopal news needs and beyond. And with that, that is Popping Collars for this time. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Ricardo. We'll see you next time. And keep those collars pop. Pop, pop, pop. (laughs) Don't cry. Don't.